brings each one of us to Jacob's well. Jacob had bought this well, and as the Samaritan woman knew very well, he had watered his family and his flock. And there she was coming by herself with her water jug, earthenware, rather large and heavy when it was empty. And this was one of the tasks that fell to women who had the strength to bear such a heavy load. But as anyone would have known who had lived in pre-modern times without modern plumbing, there are very strange features about this. Among them, the fact that she's coming alone. Women had to work very hard. Women were not only the, the bond that held families together, they were not only the ones who told the stories that gave children their identity and their sense of belonging to the group, but they were the ones who took care of all those household ch- tasks in preparing food without refrigerators <laughs> and stoves. They had to go out and get the wood, light the fires, get the food harvested, prepare it, put it on the table. And then they had to do it again and again and again. But women enjoyed one another's companies. And in the absence of phones and emails and in the absence of newspapers and magazines, where did you catch up on the news of the village and other people's relatives and other people's business? If it wasn't, when you gathered together around some place like the well, the village well, the community well. So the women would go there usually very early in the morning, when it was still not too hot in that very hot part of the world, so that when they were carrying this heavy load, it wouldn't be all that strenuous. And so, this woman is not with them. We know, we can speculate, on fairly strong grounds, why she was not with the other women. Because she was, in a certain sense, because of her lifestyle, which is mentioned by our Savior, uh, a reject. She was ostracized to some extent. She broke the pattern of uh, normal family life, and it was actually women who kept those bonds and that norm in view. The woman comes alone, and she finds Christ who is alone. The holy apostles have gone off for food. She has come for water. They're going to buy food in the village. They're going to come back and they're going to eat. Why don't they go to the village and eat? Why don't they go to an inn in the village, a cafe in the village and eat? Well, because it's Samaria. And they're Jews. And Jews and Samaritans had about as much love and so forth for one another as the Irish and the English in the 1920s and 30s during the time, as they called it, the time of the Troubles. So Jews did not want to eat with uh, these uh, ostracized outcasts. So they would get their food and they would bring it back and they'd eat off by themselves by Jacob's well. Well, the woman comes out by herself and she sees Christ there and Christ asks her for water. Well, he's broken some some rules, (laughs) The rule is that a man and a woman never speak to one another if they don't know each other, if they're strangers. It's not done. And in a society without um, 
security, without police, without the normal enforcement of laws that we have, it fell to each individual when he was growing up. The preteens already had been carefully instructed by their parents and by the the uh, adults in the community, the extended family of a village, uh, what you could do and what you couldn't do. And these rules were uh, cast in concrete. They were, they were unbreakable. And if you broke them, it was an extremely serious offense. So Christ takes the initiative and speaks to her, and she says, how are you, how are you talking to me? The second rule that's broken is that Jews and Samaritans don't have conversations with each other. So this is highly unusual. Everything about this story is unlikely. The uh, woman uh, makes her statements. Christ reveals that he is well aware of her personal circumstances, her uh, lifestyle, and so on and so forth. And she's very much taken aback by that. She knows the villagers know. They know what's up. But here's a stranger from somewhere else, a Jew who just wanders into the area, who's sitting there. She'd never heard of him. She never saw him before. And he knows about her. And this is a very startling moment. We notice that even though she is leading a life that for sure is highly irregular, and even in many ways offensive, this does not deprive her of God's attention. It does not deprive her of a conversation with God. It does not deprive her of the right to ask him a question. And he does not refuse to answer her on moral grounds. Even though the prodigal son had sinned very greatly, it did not deprive him of the father's love. And as soon as there was any sign on his part, any small baby step, on his part, towards the father, the father was running to him. So, we have, on the one hand, to assess and evaluate our sins, the sins that you and I commit as people, with uh, all of the sobriety and austerity which is required under the circumstances. But we must never, ever fall into the trap fall into the pit of thinking that because I sin, God will not speak to me. Because I sin, God will have nothing to do with me. Because I have sinned, because I do sin, God will not uh, answer my question. Here we have this highly irregular lady having one of the defining moments that is recorded in all of Scripture by Jacob's well. And to such a one, God is revealing such amazing and deep truths, truths of great urgency, intensity, and depth. On the one hand, this amazing conversation exists in a very plain, straightforward way. An offer is being made of living water such that one does not need to keep drinking it. This woman, like any woman of her time and of many centuries to come, is highly interested in that kind of water. That's a plumbing that she can get into 
quickly. But even she understands that the surface of the conversation is not all there is. There is something in the air. There is something going on that attracts her at a deeper level than this talk about water and living water and you have a pail, you don't have a pail, the, the well is deep, why are you talking to me and so on and so forth. There is a whole other dimension of relationship which is being laid down during the time that she spends with Christ alone by Jacob's well. There is the question of worship and where to worship. And the place of worship is revealed to be not a matter of the map, of the geography of the Middle East, but of, if you will, the interior map of the human personality. That place where you and I are that is spirit and truth. It is in that place, whether in Jerusalem or on Gerazim, or in Lake County, or in New Mexico, or in Thailand, it is in that place that authentic worship is offered to God. And notice that the discussion of water and of living water is juxtaposed to a discussion of worship. You and I, hard for some of us, especially me, to believe, can actually go for quite some time without solid food. We all know that is at least an intellectual or conceptual truth. But we also know that we cannot go very long without water. We cannot go very long, in other terms, without the living water of the worship of God in spirit and in truth. To this unlikely lady, Christ also reveals something of himself in an amazing way. We do not very often find him doing that quite so um, boldly and in such an unvarnished way, without circumlocutions. He tells her bluntly who he is. She, by now, has been delivered from the surface conversation, the words as they could be heard by the ears, and is now spellbound by the reality of the person with whom she is speaking. She runs back to the village, leaving the heavy, empty earthenware jug behind for sure, and she begins to speak to people probably with whom she is not really on easy terms because of her irregular life. And she tells them, come, see a man, and so on and so forth. And they do come out, these Samaritans, to see this alien, this Jew, and there is a conversation between him and each of them. We don't hear that conversation. They are wonderful people, probably in many ways, some of them very great. But we never hear what he says to them or they to him. The only conversation we hear is between him and this, this outcast woman. 
But as a result of this conversation, they will tell her that they now believe him because of him and not of her testimony in his behalf that he had told her all things whatsoever she had done. <clears throat> and so it came to pass that he spends a little time with these these enemies, this enemy territory, and then he goes. His apostles come back, obviously bringing food with them. They are amazed to find him speaking with a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. He tells them that he has food about which they do not know. Remember who they are, the holy apostles. They don't know what food feeds him. And they surmise, as we often find the apostles surmising, guessing, speculating, in a wrong way. Oh, well, maybe somebody brought him some food. <laughs> so you see that here we are at a rather primitive level of the apostles' awareness of who is Christ. Perhaps on that day, the Samaritan woman actually knew more about who he really is than the holy apostles. And you remember that even after Good Friday and the resurrection on Pascha, they are still in a certain quandary, a certain confusion regarding him, who he was, and what was the meaning of all his teaching and his doctrine. It isn't until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, that they break through all the veils that have concealed aspects of Christ and suddenly see him as he is for what he is, and then go out into all the world and spread the message of the good news, the Evangelion, the Gospel. This is a most remarkable Sunday, this Sunday of the Samaritan woman. And this text that the deacon read for us, that is so long, one of the longer uh, Gospels outside the framework of Holy Week, one of the longest Gospels of the year, bears very careful scrutiny by me and by you for at least all this week. We know that the Samaritan woman had a name, not given in the Gospel, but the tradition of the Church preserves it. Her name was Fotini, the illumined one, the enlightened one. And Fotini, we know, is a great martyr. She gave her life for the one whom she met unexpectedly that hot day by Jacob's well. <clears throat> 